1: absolutely perfect day in sparta kentucky what better way to end it than with racing drivers start your engines great start for kyle bush jamie mcmurray already going to the apron side by side for the lead martrix jr chasing after kyle bush all around goes the two battle within a battle here kyle bush Has led 105 slaps tonight. Mark Trucks Jr. shoots out to the front. Now he's three wide on the outside. He's in the battle we're not going to see for a few races. We're going to see perhaps for a few decades. Mark Trux Jr. wins stage two. Kyle Larson
2: making that move on Harvick. This has not even been close. Complete domination by the 78. This is just just a performance. Great
1: restart. Great job by Mark Trux.
3: nascar america presented by mobile one carol amano alongside our former crew chief of 20 years slugger Lavie, right here with me and from burton's garage our nascar on nbc race analyst jeff burton and steve Lechart. we're going to talk to those two in just a minute but slugger let's start with you why could nobody catch martin truex jr on saturday night
4: well martin made no mistakes the team was flawless that you know they qualified well they executed to race well and had a dominant car Uh, they practiced you know, in the morning on Friday and did most of the race room. A lot of teams chose to work on race room and happy hour when it was extremely hot. And Cole Pern and his team didn't get fooled and executed a flawless race.
3: The term dominant has been thrown sure. around and I think it was well deserved in this particular instance. We're going to bring Steve and Jeff along with us as we take a look back at Saturday night highlights from Kentucky. It was an absolutely beautiful evening at Kentucky Speedway and a doubleheader on Saturday. Kyle Larson in the 42 had to start at the back of the field. He did not pass inspection in qualifying. And as we saw the green flag, it was Kyle Bush in the 18 and Martin Truex Jr. in the 78 to start out front. And Jeff, they would battle for the lead.
2: Yeah, it was a good battle to start the race. Uh, you see Kyle Busch got a great start. Uh, the bo- fight was to get to the bottom of the racetrack. Kyle Busch led him. But don't look now. Here comes Kyle Larson and only...
3: 40 laps
2: already up to 12th place.
3: Yeah, and Steve, as we hit the double box here to show you Martin Truex Jr., he has Kyle Busch in his sights here, Larson passing Matt Kenseth for fifth place, and Truex Jr. taking the lead away from Kyle Busch, he would win stage one.
5: And this is the trend we saw. The longer the cars were on a set of tires, the more that Martin Truex Jr. showed his dominance. The A-team was very good on cold tires, could restart well, but the 78 as they ran caught him every time.
4: Yeah, and Carolyn for the second time in 2017, the 42-car Carl Larson racing the four-car off Pit Road, got caught for a speeding, had to go all the way to the back once again.
3: All the way to the back of the pack and off the restart on lap eighty eight. Some trouble here for Brad Kozlowski, loses it and gets into Clint Boyer, collects Jimmy Johnson. As Certainly,
4: well. Brad, it's a game of inches on restart, and Brad simply gets off the bottom a little bit, collects the 14 of Clint Boyer. Jimmy Johnson, innocent bystander, unfortunately ending the day. For both brad and jimmy johnson
3: yeah brad would have something to say after that incident we'll bring you that later on in the show but in the meantime steve kyle larson defying the odds again fighting his way up to 11th place by the end of stage two
5: well carolyn it was not an impressive run to watch him pass that many cars but they're making it way too hard on themselves perhaps the only car that could compete with this 78 martin trex jr was kyle larson but he wasn't there to race for it, and the 78 the 13th stage win of the year, seven clear of his closest competitor.
3: And Jeff now Larson chasing down Kevin Harvick, Joey Logano to take over second place with just two laps to go. Kurt Busch, though, would get into some trouble as well and force overtime.
2: Yeah, Martin Truex Jr. and his team thought it was over, two to go, and then Kurt Busch with the axle problem. Decisions, decisions, Slugger, whether to pit or not. And- Right here, the 78 did not fit and everybody else came.
4: Certainly didn't. And, and Jeff, the guys that did fit, they're all in different strategies. We had some on left side tires, some on right side tires, some on four. Jeff, hell of a restart here coming up.
6: So uh,
2: great. Sorry, Carol. No, this, this, this restart was so great. I want to talk about it. It was, you know, Martin Truex just did a great job. Cleared himself getting into turn one, single file, getting into one. Now it's easy sailing, even though he had old, old tires. Listen, that restart was the race winner. It would have been easy to get those wheels spinning. He did not. You see Matt Kenseth having trouble late in the race after a strong run. Martin Truex Jr.'s team finish it off.
3: Donuts burnouts, third race of the season, indeed. Martin Truex Jr. became the first overtime winner at Kentucky since the Monster Energy Cup Series first started racing there in 2011. Kyle Larson finishing in the runner-up spot for the sixth time this season. More on his night later on in the show. But let's look at some notable results here. As you can see right there at the very top, Darrell Wallace Jr. finishing in 11th. That's his best result in the 43 car, and Daytona winner Ricky Stenhouse Jr. finished 14th. But it was Martin Truex Jr. who was the king at Kentucky, and after delivering those burnouts, he spoke to our Marty Snyder.
6: Just an unbelievable performance for Martin Truex Jr. It takes speed. <laughs> it takes execution. But I got to know, when everyone else pitted, were you thinking, I'm done? I thought we were dead. <laughs> I thought we were done. Uh, this just, this is completely unbelievable. I'm, uh, I'm so excited to win here. I felt like we, we had a shot last year and it got away from us on fuel mileage and just uh, wanted to win here so, so bad after that. So it's this sweet redemption. Um, you gotta say hi to Sherry back home. She didn't make it this weekend, so love you, babe. And uh, all these awesome fans, thank you guys so much for coming out. What an, what an awesome crowd. <laughs> I uh, hope they enjoyed it, man. That was a whole lot of fun. When you have a dominant car like that, how worried are you, Martin, in those final 100 laps or whatever? Uh, worried every lap, waiting for caution, just uh, especially at the end. You're, you're counting them down, you know, 30, the last 30, the last 20, the last 10, and then you get inside of five, you're like, oh, my God, And there's no way there's not going to be a caution. And uh, sure enough, there was. But fortunately, uh, able to hold them off, this thing was just uh, so stout tonight,
1: and a good push from Larson helped us a bunch.
3: So Truex thought they were dead. They are very much alive, especially when it comes to playoff points. If playoff points are like buildings, Martin Truex Jr. and Furniture Row have built a skyscraper at this point in the season. Truex now has 28, the most among all Monster Energy Series drivers, closest to him defending series champion Jimmy Johnson with 16. It is an impressive effort for sure, but let's go back to where the race was ultimately decided, that late caution that was triggered by Kurt Busch set up multiple strategy calls for the win. Here's what Truex's crew chief Cole Pern and also Kyle Busch's crew chief Adam Stevens said before the restart.
6: Uh, It's, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't. I mean, they're going to, we're so many lap cars, buffer in between. I mean, they had plenty of time to react off our call, so... I imagine we come, you know, you're going to have two or three that are going to stay out, and I don't know if you make that back up. But I think, uh, we'll look, you know, it's going to be a lengthy caution here, so we'll let tires cool down. And, you know, I think uh, he was being pretty easy on them there that last run. So I think we'll be a good. If we can get through one and two, we'll be fine. I'm confident in Kyle, but I don't know what the heck's going to happen here. I didn't expect everybody to take four tires. I really thought the 42 would stay since he'd be on the front row. But
2: uh, found ourselves in a good spot, but uh, it's going to be hard to uh, get there. It's going to be hard to stay there.
3: So this is just a perfect day to have a pair of crew chiefs on the show because decisions, decisions, as Jeff said earlier, is right. Steve, let's start with you. Explain the difficulty in the decision-making process when the race comes down to a call like this.
5: Well, you heard Cole Pern say that he thought for sure that if they pitted, two or three would stay out. So basically, the disadvantage of the leader is he has to make his decision first. And what Cole was talking about with a gap is there were so many lap-down cars that the second-place car, he was in no rush. He had five- or six-second head start to see what the leader was going to do. So Cole Pern took what I thought was his only option as well. He stayed on the racetrack leaving him out there with 50-plus lap tires. But the interesting thing was the mixed strategy behind it. You see trucks on old tires, Kyle Busch outside the front row on lefts, which was very peculiar to me. Eric Jones took right-side tires. He started third. Kyle Larson was on the outside of the second row with four tires. And to be honest, at this point in the race, before that final restart, I thought this was Kyle Larson's race to win. I thought even though the outside wasn't the preferred lane, Jeff, having the room to operate with those fresh tires. You know, it does you no good at the bottom if you're boxed in. I thought Kyle Larson was going to accelerate and go around the 78. But we both, I think, thought that, and we were wrong.
2: Well, I, I, I think it was just a limitation of the track. The track just was not yeah. – the track didn't allow you to be three, three wide to make something real aggressive happen. I think that was a big disadvantage. But, you know, let's just talk about how great the 78 was. Like, right. all those tires meant nothing because right. Martin Truex did such a great job on the restart.
5: Yeah, I mean, that's really what it comes down to, Carolyn. You could talk about all the pit strategies, but sometimes you make the wrong call, but the right car overcomes it. And right here, the 78, he mentions this push from the 42. You see right here, that was it. The 78 basically wins this race by clearing the 18, be able to take this left-hand turn into Turn One, single file, pulled to the yellow line. Not only gets the preferred groove, Jeff, but also gets the air off from the 18 at that point. I think he knew it was his to lose.
2: Yeah, and, and the reason this restart was so great is because the, the the method that Martin Truex Jr. used, he he picked his speed up slowly, allowed the car to get faster. So on older tires, it's easy to spin the rear tires. The faster you're going the easier it is to get that speed up. And that's what he did such a good job of. You know, there's a lot of strategies coming to the pit box. You can slow everybody down. You can speed everybody right. up. You can go early. You can go late. And that changes based on your situation and the comp- person you're competing against. He just did a really good job. And did everything right in a, in a very difficult situation.
3: So I just want to go back to something that Steve said a minute ago with Kyle Busch because that raised your eyebrows as a crew chief as well. The fact that they would take lefts in that situation. Why do you think that decision was made?
4: Well, that's a call we never really see in our sport anymore is left side tires. Either it's right side tires or four tires. And the thing, Carolyn, that was unique to me, I couldn't quite understand that. Adam Stevens and the tire changer—they knew they had a lug nut missing from the right rear tire, and yet they still chose to get left sides only, and 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 face a potential penalty from NASCAR of $10,000. Uh, that whole decision to get left side tires was very weird to me, strange. Maybe they practiced it in practice on Friday, but I, I just—you don't see this anymore in our sport. Hardly. Uh, you see it at Daytona and Talladega where tires are extremely hard, but just very surprised. But maybe they did left sides only, thinking they could have a quicker pit stop because the pit crew is close. to to the car on pit road already so many thoughts going through crew chiefs head uh, especially a late call like that but to see the top four on different strategies it was very unique
3: so do you think then that maybe the penalty needs to be a little bit stiffer if a crew chief has that luxury of maybe making a call with a loose lug nut?
4: Well, it seems weird to me that Adam Stevens just coming off a four-week suspension from Dover, leaving the wheel loose, that they would take a chance of another potential penalty. Penalty, But it just makes you wonder if NASCAR needs to ramp up the penalties the more violations that you have as a team. So we'll have to see how NASCAR reacts on Wednesday when they announce the penalties, if they're going to ramp it up, because $10,000 simply isn't getting the message done to me.
3: Steve, was that what crossed your mind as well, that there was a lug nut missing and that's why this decision was curious to take two lefts, or was it something else that you saw?
5: I actually assumed that the 18 probably had lug nuts missing on the left rear, and that's why they took left side tires <laughs> instead of rights because they didn't want the penalty. But, you know, I agree with Slugger about the, the, the size of the penalty for one lug nut because at that point – You know, Adam Stevens very easily could have called for four tires, but I think he knew, and you heard in his interview, he thought other cars were going to stay out. That would have pulled them off the front row. So I do think lefts are unique. We might see it at a short track. Even this week at Loudoun, we could see cars take left sides. But that's a very different circumstance than at Kentucky, that very hard tire on that very smooth, repaved surface. So it was unique to me. and. and I just think the 18 didn't have a chance. I don't think he had the
2: car to match the tires to go up and try to beat the 78. Yeah, what's interesting was is when you watch the replay of that pit stop, you actually see one of the crew members come out like he's going to the right rear after he's changed left side tires, and the car leaves, and he, he kind of looks at the pit box like we we had he's a surprised, plan. right? Like I, so I don't know what that means, but, uh, but obviously two tires wasn't the right call in that situation. Uh, but we don't know what they did during practice. We don't know that maybe they did something in practice that showed them that two tires was the way to go, and and they may have been better on two tires than right than on the left versus on the right. We just don't know that. They did this for a reason, uh, even though they knew they had a lug nut, but if you watch the end of this, see the right rear tire changer? He, he goes around like, hey, there's something I need right. to do, and it didn't get done, so... That adds to the mystery.
5: I think the beauty of that (laughs) entire sequence, though, Carolyn, what it really showed to me, and I hope it showed the race fan, is that when you talked, when we talked to Cole Pern, he didn't talk about what they needed. He talked about what he assumed everyone else was going to do. And when you talked to Adam Stevens, he didn't talk about what the 18 needed. He talked about that he assumed the 42 would stay out. He could start in the front row. And that's what makes pit strategy so difficult. It isn't just the math. Slugger, you know as well as I do, it isn't what your car needs is what is everyone else going to do? You can make the same decision five different times, and whether it works or doesn't work is purely based off what your competition does.
4: Steve, I think we saw it back at Pocono with the 18 car. You know, he stayed out on a late race restart, and uh, he got used up, and, and I think Adam, I mean, uh, Coldest made a decision like, look, I need the clean air. I need to go. And if the 7-8 would have pitted Steve, I really think that, you know, second, third, and fourth would have stayed out, and Martin probably would have restarted around fifth or sixth, and he probably wouldn't have had a chance to win. So he did the right thing choosing clean air, I I believe.
3: Yeah, absolutely. It worked out for them. All right, today's show is jam-packed. So on the agenda, we're going to bring you what we have coming up over the next hour. New reaction from NASCAR Steve O'Donnell on Brad Keselowski's sharp criticism after his crash on Saturday night. Kyle Larson went from the back to the front and then did it all over again. More on his memorable drive that came up just short. And we will have your first listen of the best team radio chatter from Kentucky in a preview of this week's scandal. That and more ahead today on NASCAR America. We're glad you're with us. Stage 10 of the Tour de France is right here on NBCSN. The Peloton travels to the French countryside ahead of a sprint finish after a day off today. Coverage begins tomorrow morning at 8 Eastern with Tour Prime Time at 8 p.m. Eastern. But back to four-wheel racing just for a moment. When the regular season ends, the top 10 drivers in the standings all receive playoff points. The regular season champion gets 15 playoff points. Right now, Martin Truex Jr. is just one point behind Kyle Larson. Together, they have a 100-point gap over third-place Kyle Busch. And Larson had an interesting Saturday night, started the race at the very rear of the field, worked his way to the front twice, and was in contention for the win. Chasing the leader, though, something that Larson's been focused on for quite a while.
0: want to start from the back.
7: You want to start from the back?
0: Why? see how good
7: I am. Well, Kyle is the type that needs a rabbit to chase. If he's got a, somebody in front of him, it makes him even
1: better. The 42 of Kyle Larson did not get out of tech yesterday for their qualifying attempt. And because of that, he will have to start at the back of the field. Larson has made his way all the way up to the fourth position. He's behind his teammate, Jamie McMurray. Kyle Larson really has been the strongest car all day. He'll take third away from his teammate. So Kyle Larson up to third. Well, Rick, you see Kyle Larson dropping to the back of the field again. Remember, it took him
6: 74 laps to get to the rear of the field. From the rear of the field to third, he's going to have to do it again. Speeding on pit road in section 12. That's leaving his pit stall. He was in a furious race with Kevin Harvick and guys around him.
1: Kyle Larson has already passed 57 cars for position tonight.
6: Rick, Kyle Larson has now taken over the second position. Now, I don't know if they're going to get up to the 78 or not. They're going to need a caution, clearly, to make that happen this evening, but you got to wonder if the 42 team they've gone from the back to the front twice this evening if they're going to look back at this one and say man that's one we missed out on speeding penalty on pit road they didn't get through inspection and qualifying yesterday they've done it twice so if they get a caution they might be able to get that 78
7: cruise to the front the first time got to the third at the end of that first stage uh sped on pit road had to go to the back again A little bit tougher to get through the field that that next time. Had to just slowly pick off cars and uh, got to second. And then, yeah, finished second. So good race. Car was fast. Wish we could have competed with Martin. But uh, he was obviously extremely fast today. So uh, we all have uh, some work to do to keep up with him.
3: So, Larson wound up with a race-high 90 green flag passes on Saturday night. That's 24 more than any other driver. Chase Elliott was 66. And just to add a little bit more context to this, the leader in green flag passes in last year's Kentucky race had 78. Um, but, Steve, you mentioned this earlier we were going through the highlights, and I just want you to hit it again for us. What do those numbers actually tell you about the night that Kyle Larson had?
5: Well, the 90 green flag passes tells me that Kyle Larson had a race-winning race car, but the unfortunate part is he had 90 cars to pass. And to be honest, he should have never had 90 cars in front of him. Uh, the situation started where they couldn't get through inspection for qualifying, and that's a whole nother conversation that I think the sport needs to have. We see a lot of cars not presented for qualifying, not getting on pit road. It doesn't seem like starting last is maybe a big enough penalty uh, up for debate. But then speeding on pit road was the second major stub toe of the evening, and and basically at a track that was very hard to pass at anyway, even with arguably probably the second-best car. Maybe the best, Jeff. We don't know. We don't if know. You, if you ever would have lined up next to the seventy eight. We could have said if he was better or not. The 42 did everything right in car preparation and they did a lot of things right during the race, but not making qualifying and one time speeding on pit road, Jeff, was it's just too much. And to take the next step. You can't make mistakes
2: like this in the playoffs. You cannot do this when it comes to those final 10 races. Well and and so last year, if this would have happened, Carolyn, it was we recovered, we had a second place finish, had some good points. Well think about all the points they gave off and gave away in the stages. I mean, they, they, they already are in a deficit to Martin Truex Jr., and they just gave him more. The one car that had the, potentially had the speed to take those points away put themselves in a position where they couldn't. So it's, it means more than just where you finish today. And when you don't, when you don't make tech and you can't get yourself points because you start in the back and you make those mistakes that hurt your opportunity to get more points, it is a bigger penalty today than it used to be. And we'll see if it matters at the end of the year. But things like this can be the difference between advancing to the next round in the playoffs and even winning a championship. So it's a, uh, it's a big price to pay. But I'm with Steve. I, I, I think we had this conversation several months ago. It's time to ramp the penalty up for not making tech. When, 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 a, when a fan goes to the racetrack, To see his driver or her driver go on the racetrack and qualify, they deserve to see it. Right. And if if they can't make tech, their penalties need to be bigger. And I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. But you can't convince me if you made that penalty big enough, they would all find a way to make tech. I just, I firmly believe it. I believe in the interest of the fans that rule has got to change.
4: Well, I've been a victim of that, Caroline. You know, at Bristol, I got penalized. I went through five times. Trying to pass the LAS, trying to get as much as I could from my race team. And that's exactly what Chad Johnson and his team's doing. They're being aggressive, trying to get all they can to keep the competition uh, at bay and keep the most performance in their race car, trying to keep up with Martin Truex. But it's just too much. You know, when you have to start last, put you in a bad situation to make up points in the first stage. And I'm sure that Max Jones and, and Chip Ganassi have had talks with everyone on their team saying, hey, look, man, we're shooting ourselves in the foot. We need to back it down a little bit. But I agree with, uh, with Steve and Jeff that, you know, the penalties need to be ramped up. You know, unfortunately, I'm misqualifying at Richmond because of my penalty. But I think one thing that's going to have to start happening is some drive-through penalties. When they throw the green flag, you simply have to come down pit road at pit road speed when they throw the green flag. Maybe that'll send a message from NASCAR saying, hey, look, enough. so people are paying to watch you guys qualify and you're letting the sport down time to get serious
3: yeah all right well while Larson was in contention for when Brad Kozlowski crashed out earlier in the night and then he called for a big change from the sport but what did NASCAR Steve O'Donnell think of the former champions comments find out on NASCAR America
1: NASCAR America is brought to you by new Mobile One Annual Protection. Proven protection for one full year.
3: Welcome back, everybody. After crashing out of Saturday's race, a frustrated Brad Keselowski sounded off on the current car being used in the Monster Energy Series.
6: The way this car is, it just it needs a lot more help than a tire dragon. It's just it's a poorly designed race car, um, and it, it makes racing on tracks like this uh, very difficult to, to put on the show we want to put on for our fans. And so, you know, you, you do what you can to, to gouge and kind of claw on the restarts and get everything you can get. And uh, you got to put yourself in bad situations to, to do that. And, and that's where we roar. But uh, if you don't make those moves on the restarts, then you run in the back or you, you have a bad day. So it's just the, the scenario that the, the car design uh, more than the track. Oh, it's time for this sport to design a new car that's worthy of where this sport deserves to be and the show it deserves to put on for its fans.
3: After that interview, Brad Keselowski followed up on social media and admitted that he lost his cool. His post saying, in part, I love racing. It's a privilege to be a NASCAR driver in this era, so please don't take my comments about the car today and think any differently about my passion for this sport and belief that it remains the best in the world. Still, his criticism of NASCAR made its way around the track pretty quickly. Race winner Martin Truex Jr. and Executive Vice President Steve O'Donnell were among those who had their say.
5: Brad Keselowski had a very strong and stern words about the car design. Do you feel like it's time to go to a Gen 7? Out of, out of where? Because he, he got crashed tonight? Basically, yes. I mean, he's on the driver's driver. He was a big part of the lower down force, and he's a big part of whatever you know the direction everybody's going. So, yeah, he was probably just mad as he got
1: wrecked. The first thing I would say is it's uh, a little disappointed in the comment um, for sure. You know, Brad's a leader in our sport, so – I understand heat of the moment, but definitely disappointing to see that because I think you've got to take the entire context, and that's more of our job. Um, You know, I think he was frustrated. He he had a tough night, and uh, the cars are supposed to be hard to drive. These are the best drivers in the world, and uh, you've got uh, one of the best seasons we've had in a while in terms of the different winners, so uh, I chalk that up uh, with uh, frustration, heat of the moment. Um, but it's something that, uh, you know, we, yeah, we always work on improving the racing. We are working, uh, as we always do with the industry to, you know, put together what could be that future car. Um, but that's down the road.
3: Right, so I want to get all of our analysts' take on this. But, Jeff, just want to start with you. So, Kieslowski admitting that he was frustrated, but we've been critical of drivers who have said things and done things out of frustration in the heat of the moment. Should he still be held accountable for what he said about NASCAR?
2: Well, yes, because he is a leader in this sport. And I have a lot of respect for Brad. I've, I've spent a fair amount of time with Brad. And Brad truly wants this sport to be as great as it can be. And he works hard at it. He He is dedicated. He puts time and effort and energy into it, and we all have varying opinions. We're never going to agree on everything. Uh, I don't think after getting wrecked early in a race is the time to say that the world needs to change. There's no question that there are things that could be better in our sport. There's things that could be better in every sport. I will tell you that that wreck that Brad Keselowski got in, I got in 30 years ago driving (laughs) cars that everybody says are so great. Uh, You know, racing's difficult. It's supposed to be difficult. And when, it, when you're driving something that is difficult to drive, you're going to wreck from time to time. That is the result of having a car that's hard to drive. So uh, I, I respect Brad a great deal. I just think that you have to be careful when you make a big, broad swipe like that. The, the inference is the racing's no good. Right. Well, I'm sorry. Saturday's not a night's race, although Martin Truex Excellent was awesome. It wasn't the most fun race to watch. I get it. It wasn't. But if you take the year in whole, this year has been a lot of fun to watch. I've watched every single race, either from the track or on my couch. In every single race, there's been something. There's been something I've enjoyed. And this year is without a doubt better than last year. And it's better than the year before and the year before. This has been good racing this year. Could it be better? Of course. There's always a way to make things better. But we're not that far away.
5: Yeah, I mean, I was extremely frustrated when I read these comments because I feel that the sport has worked tirelessly to improve the type of racing. When I watch a race on Sunday, I want to be sure without a doubt that I'm watching 40 drivers that have exponentially more talent than me. And with this, the, the difficulty these cars are to drive, the low downforce, the tough surfaces, the variety of racetracks, I currently feel that way. There's no doubt I cannot come close to what those 40 drivers do. So I reached out to Brad and had a conversation. And actually, after that, after that conversation, I feel better about his intent, that he feels it can, needs to continue to move forward, that the car could be worked on. But I'm very disappointed in which he tried to deliver his message. Now, I am we will support a driver 100%, a superstar like Brad Kozlowski, to be vocal. But I feel there are a few unwritten rules. If it's a safety issue, scream from the rooftops if you feel it can be better. If you feel it's it's a perception-type thing, we heard Kyle Larson scream that, hey, I want to see every driver at their local short track. He has every right to do it. But to make a blanket statement that, and I quote, a poorly designed race car, there's no way. This car puts on great shows at different tracks. You're asking a vehicle to go from half mile Martinsville to mile and a half Kentucky to Talladega to Sonoma and perform great at all those surfaces. There's no such thing as a perfect race car. And what Brad what happened to Brad at Kentucky, while that is frustrating, there were multiple restarts and multiple drivers that completed that pass. He did not, he had an issue, and he has every right to be vocal, but I think his choice of words were very poor and the entire context in which his comments came out, I didn't I didn't I don't think
2: was positive for him or the sport. That's the key. Uh, I I think for me, if if you're going to be a leader, you have to be a productive leader. Right. And sometimes in being a leader, uh, and I've fallen, I've fallen, been guilty of this, in trying to lead in something, you express something in the wrong area in the wrong way. And I think that's what happened on Saturday for Brad is that he wants the racing to be the best it can possibly be. There, 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 There are good intentions from Brad Keselowski. There's no doubt about that. The way he said it and when he said it wasn't appropriate. I, that's and that's out of anger and that's out of frustration. We've all been there. I, <laughs> I've said things that I regret. And I, by the way, by the way, Carolyn, I wish I would have done some things that I didn't do that I regret <laughs> that as well. But but it is a frustrating sport, and it, you you put your heart, your soul, everything, all of your being, you put into every single event, and when it goes bad, it hurts you. I mean, it truly hurts you to the core if you care as much as you're supposed to care. So when drivers get out and say things, I give them a little bit of slack because I've been there and I understand the emotion uh, but again, it's about being an effective leader, it's about being a productive leader, that wasn't a time or place.
3: What's curious for me Slugger is when but also why these comments would come from a driver who has a couple of wins in the bank already, who is set for the playoffs already, to take that broad swipe, it almost sounds like it would be coming from a driver who is desperate to make the playoffs or something of that nature. It
4: was kind of weird, Carolyn, you know in 2017, in 18 races, Brad has 11 top 10 finishes, that's a good season for most people, but you know, restart starts are a game of inches and obviously Brad is a a guy that usually restarts really really well and it got away from him. But he's had a bad seven week stretch. He's had four DNS four crashes. Uh, It's not going well for him. He did the moment deal. Someone sticks a mic in front of him and he just probably said something he just regretted And, and he tried to take it back. But the damage was too too late. He already said what he said.
3: Yeah. And is he going to be having talkings to from just about everybody? Has that already happened yet? Is it something where he has owned it and apologized and moved on, or is there more to this?
4: Well, you know, Brad's a leader in the driver council. He's very vocal in what we do in the direction of our sport. So I, I'm sure that Mr. Helton and, and Mr. O'Donnell have had conversations with him to say, look, man, just make sure when you speak, you're a voice of NASCAR. Make sure you're under control and compose yourself and say the right things. And we'll talk about it behind closed doors yeah. when the time timing's right.
3: Penske has certainly struggled over the last couple of races sure. since Richmond with uh, that win from Joey Logano Smith that factored into it as well. Coming up next Saturday, a doubleheader at Kentucky and got off to a pretty rowdy start. We're going to recap the opening act from the Xfinity Series when NASCAR America comes back. This week, the Cup Series heads to the challenging Magic Mile of New Hampshire Motor Speedway. The intensity picking up as the race to the playoffs continues at Sunday 3 Eastern. That one's right here on NBCSN. For the second straight week, though, the Xfinity race was washed out on Friday night. It had to be run the same day as the Monster Energy Cup Series race. And 19-year-old William Byron was looking to win his third straight race. He did finish best among the Xfinity regulars, but it wasn't quite enough
1: definitely a whole lot hotter today than we've raced in the past. Uh, it's going to be interesting today to see how it plays out. Green flags in the air. We're racing in Kentucky. Caution out immediately. Got a car on the wall, Rob, in turn number two. It looks like the 62 of Brendan Gaughan. Think about it if you want. Let us know if you need anything from the 20 on the start if you want to do that.
4: We just tried that and I didn't get let down.
1: So Eric Jones, he will win stage number one can go below the yellow line. Anything paved here at Kentucky is fair game. It feels like the whole car is coming up through the bottom of the car more than anything, you know? This is the 12th of Ryan Blaney, and he will get stage two win. Jones trying to surge ahead as they go down the back stretch. Three wide for the lead. Kyle Busch on the inside, Eric Jones in the middle, Ryan Blaney on the outside. The round goes to two of Paul Menard. Green flag back in the air. The temperature gauge isn't working. There is still the possibility that he could run out of gas. Without a doubt, Ryan Blaney. Now the closest car to the 18, but it's not close enough. Kyle Busch comes out of turn four. He's going to win at Kentucky again. Perfect.
3: The race to Miami in the Xfinity Series has just 10 races remaining in the regular season. Since Kyle Busch won Saturday's race, still nine playoff spots up for grabs. William Byron, Justin Allgaier, Ryan Reed have already punched their tickets with wins. But what surprises you about how aggressive these last few races in particular have been in the Xfinity
4: Series? Yeah, to me, it's the starts of the race, Carolyn, and restarts as well. You know, we go back to Michigan uh, where they had they didn't make it 300 yards past our <laughs> finish line. And two cup regulars, Brad Keselowski and Kyle Bush get into each other and wreck before they 300 yards. You know that's kind of something you don't see every day. And then we go on to Kentucky. Uh, You know the leaders, first through 10th, they didn't do anything wrong. But everyone from there back just simply stack up, and, and we have one heck of a wreck. And you know. Some of the cars didn't even take, it, take the green flag on the racetrack, and they're wrecked, and their day is over. So the team, to me, Carolyn, that, that took the biggest hit is the 62 team of Brendan Gaughan. You know, he's right now on the cut line of 12th, six points ahead of uh, Ryan Sieg, and his season is right on turmoil, but that restart, the start of the race, uh, might have dictated his season for him.
3: And is this all just strictly because it's getting down into crunch time? We've got four drivers who are right on that bubble who are trying to get into those final spots, and we're seeing that play out on the Xfinity
4: level? Sure, and you know, and, and a lot of these Xfinity regulars, they watch the Cup races on Sunday and they see how important restarts are. It's a game of inches on, on restarts and they try to get all they can, but you know, to wreck on the initial start of the race is kind of odd to me, but everyone's trying to get what they what they could in Kentucky. You know, the race was delayed a day and they were all antsy, ready to go, and unfortunately, they didn't even make it to the start finish line.
3: Yeah, the Cup Series is not the only one with a lot on the line. We know that. Uh, we are going to go back to the Cup Series when we come back, though, and the NASCAR and NBC Pitt reporters sharing their insights on the 78 team's guts call in overtime and a whole lot more when they go on the wall. That's next on NASCAR America. Welcome back, everybody. Let's check in with the reporters now who covered Pit Road at Kentucky. Our trio is on the wall. Well,
7: On a night that belonged to Martin Truex Jr., it was one that was almost taken away with that late caution and, of course, a big strategy call that Cole Pern had to do for him. Kelly, you were covering him all night. Did you think that that would be the right call?
3: Well, certainly everyone was biting their nails there at the end of the race for the seventy-eight. But the one thing that Martin Truex really had was a good car, even on t- old tires. In fact, he seemed to get better as a, as a run went on, and that included on restart. So I think that helped give Cole Pern the confidence to make that call.
7: It was kind of a Toyota night as well, Marty. Yeah, a few of them ran in the top five all night.
6: And I think they sort of predicted that coming into the weekend they would be stronger this weekend. Joe Gibbs Racing certainly very strong. Denny Hamlin winds up finishing fourth. Kyle Bush, not very happy with what happened at the end of the race. Yeah. Obviously obviously, and taking the left side tires there. They also left a lug nut off the right rear for Kyle Busch and the 18 team, so they'll have to pay a $10,000 fine for that. But yeah, Toyota overall, much stronger here at Kentucky. And I'm curious, last mile and a half before the playoffs start, is this going to be something that they're going to be able to carry that momentum into the playoffs? Because clearly, they were a lot better than they've been. I mean, obviously, the 78's been strong all year long, right. but the other Toyotas were as strong as well.
7: Now, what about the track? Uh, a lot of drivers I was, I was scanning, complaining about the track. It was treacherous. It caused some big accidents early, but it made it a lot of fun to watch.
3: Yeah, I just think that it was the unknown. I have to say, you know, Martin Trucks Jr. wasn't complaining much about it. (laughs) No, he seemed to be able to do what he needed with that 15 second lead. Um, But how about the young guys handling the tough conditions here so well? Because we saw a number of of rookies and young guys fighting up there in the top 10 all night when some of the veterans had a harder time dealing with this resurface.
6: Yeah, Ryan Blaney with a very good top 10 all day long, although he struggled with the race car all evening long. And I, I like the call by Todd Gordon and Joey Logano in that race team. And they, you know, after the race, Joey said, listen, right now we are slow, period. We're slow. We've got to get better at these mile-and-a-half racetracks. Certainly when they look to the playoffs, they've got to get better. But an excellent call about three-quarters of the way through the race. They made the call, sort of to leave him out there with everybody else, got him some clean air. And listen, it was a top ten. It was an eighth-place finish. It wasn't a win. But when that team's had one top ten in the last, you know, two, three months, a top ten certainly helps. I know they're frustrated—not the speed they want, but but top ten certainly help.
7: I was pretty impressed with uh, Jamie McMurray as well. Tries to, uh, definitely. Benny uh, Hamlin wasn't. Uh, oh no, well that's true. <laughs> that's true. And Jamie said that in the interview afterwards. Yeah. But in trying to just make sure that he keeps pace with his very fast teammate Kyle Larson uh, did that again tonight, and Jamie showed that they've got some really some real playoff potential. They can put it together here late before we head to the playoffs themselves. So next week's. Uh, Lobster Fest will include some (laughs) racing at the Magic Mile, and we'll see you there. (laughs)
3: <laughs> Great job, Ira Trio, this weekend, as always, but I want to go back to something that they mentioned, the young driver, specifically Darrell Wallace Jr., who finished just outside that top 10 in 11th place, as we showed you earlier in the show. But, Steve, when you look at his recent results filling in for Eric Amarola, and, of course, his run in Xfinity came to an end before he got this opportunity, look at these results. Pocono 26, and then up from there to Kentucky, steady improvement, and in an impressive result his last time out. What does this tell you about what he's he's capable of in such a short amount of time.
5: Yeah, Carolyn, I'm actually the, probably the most impressed with the stat. That's the footnote at the bottom, which is he completed nearly all of the laps. The two laps he didn't complete, I think he was just laps down. It, it wasn't an issue. It wasn't an accident. So I think that Darryl Wallace Jr. made the absolute most of this opportunity after getting Really, the, the rug pulled out from underneath him. Fourth in points in the Xfinity Series. The team shuts down for financial reasons. Nothing he could do as a driver to prevent that. He gets in this 43 car. And in perhaps his last ride, jury's still out on that, Where, when, what Eric Almirola's timetable is. We hear that he's running a car this week, so we assume he's coming back at Loudoun, but that's an assumption. But in this last potential race, Jeff, I think he has definitely impressed some people. But as we have seen, These seats are hard to find and hard to fill, but I think as a race car driver, he did everything he could.
2: Yeah, that—that's the problem—is where does he go? And and it's—it's just not many seats available. And uh, the Pocono finish—you know—remember he got penalized for speeding twice, and that's why the finish there was so poor. So I thought he did what he needed to do. You know, I said from day one, I believe that his goal was to go and just fit in, like don't stand out, don't be the story, Uh, because typically when a rookie's a story, it's when he wrecks somebody. So. And uh, he did, you know, he made a mistake, it looked like to me, you know, Saturday night and got into Matt Kenseth late in the race. But short of that, really uh, very few mistakes during the week, so during the races. uh, I think he did a really good job, and and he gave enough people enough reason to continue to look and say, you know what, maybe this guy can do it. And at this point in his career, that's really the best he could hope for, where he lost his ride for no fault of his own, lack of sponsorship. Uh, to be able to get keep people, keep people saying, "Hey, he can do it. Let's 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 give him a chance." That's really the best he could hope for, and I think he achieved that.
3: So if you work with a lot of young drivers I mean how difficult is it for a driver like Jeff and Steve said who just lost their opportunity through no fault of their own to be told hey this is your shot you must make the most of it it's an incredible amount of pressure for a young rookie driver in the cup series that only has a finite amount of starts to work with
4: certainly I think Daryl did a great job he was what that 43 team needed you know since Eric got heard he came in did a great job he listened to the veteran crew chief Drew Blickensterfer try to take as much information in as he could and he done one heck of a job you know he got huge props from Dale Jr, the veteran driver Mark Martin. So a lot of people noticed that Darrell Wallace has a lot of talent. But like, like Jeff said, it takes money to get a good ride, and hopefully uh, things will come true for him and he'll get a ride that he deserves. And I certainly was impressed, you know, after what he did at Pocono with his pit road speeding penalties to where he was at Kentucky, he came a long way in four, four races. Yeah,
3: top 15 in the Cup Series, nothing to, to, to seize that, as tough you know. Um, like Steve just said, Eric amarola seems primed to get back into the 43 car this weekend. He is going to test at Charlotte tomorrow, but we are going to hear directly from him this week. He's our special guest on Wednesday from the NASCAR Hall of Fame, 5 p.m. Eastern. And Eric Almirola is going to update us on his recovery, and he'll likely share whether he'll be back for loud. So make sure you tune in with us on Wednesday, 5 p.m. right here.
1: NASCAR America is brought to you by new Mobile One Annual Protection, proven protection for one full year.
3: Well, every Tuesday here on NASCAR America, we scan all of the team radios from the weekend's cup race to bring you the best moments. Here is a small sampling of what tomorrow's going to bring.
1: This is my last one. It's been a kick-ass
7: time. of you. everyone. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. And
1: Murray gets into Hamlin. Hamlin barely able to hold on to his car. He drops back to his spot. I'm going to get him. I'm not f***ing around. I am going to get him. 10 Message delivered. Everything we're doing up that road, it's not really working out in our favor here. All right. Oh, man, I'll be all right. I'll be so disappointed about it. 95, lucky dog, coming back to it right
7: here. You're talking
0: the 95, I would. I hate him to keep me away from him, whatever we have to do, because I'm pissed. What do you got here? I don't know. Second best car is what I got. How can I help you? I don't know, son. It's
1: the same stuff every week. I don't know.
3: We are going to have the full version of that tomorrow. Meanwhile, Martin Truex Jr.'s command over the field Saturday didn't thrill everybody. One fan tweeting at Dale Earnhardt Jr., Watching a race dominated by one driver isn't enjoyable to me. I get why it's admirable, just not for me. And then Jr.'s response below, You don't like legends like Petty, Elliott, Earnhardt, Pearson? They made a living on domination. Why don't people like that anymore? (laughs) Jeff, why don't people like that anymore?
2: Because they weren't a Martin Truex Jr. fan. <laughs> I, can, I can promise you that if it was a Martin Truex Jr. fan, they wouldn't have sent that out because to him it was awesome. And, and you know, that's just, that's just how that is. I, I, I you know, the, the, the Panthers and, the, and Duke, when they win and they win big, I love it and everybody else hates it. And that's, that's just how it is. It's part of being a fan. Well, I mean, that,
5: that's really the truth. If Dale Earnhardt Jr. had a 15-second lead, I'm thinking the fan base, since he controls half <laughs> of the fan base, they would like it. But, you know, Jeff, you and I as race fans, we stood up in the booth. And Now, we're willing to say, you know, is the dominating performance that Martin Truex Jr. put on at Kentucky as fascinating to watch as a side-by-side battle at Martinsville? No. I think I would much rather see beating and banging at Martinsville. But – I'm going to celebrate the performance of the 78 car. I'm not going to turn away. I love to see cars that are close to perfection. I don't think a car could ever be perfect, but that 78 car was very, very close, and relative to its competition, they probably thought it was. And you and I had this conversation that I think that domination should be celebrated because we tried our entire careers, and you, other than leading
2: every lap at New Hampshire, perhaps never had quite that feeling. It, that was our goal as competitors. It was our goal, and I, th- I think that Slugger, you and me, we understand how hard it is to get to that point. And I think that if fans understood how difficult it was to have a car and Martin Trex Jr. drive it the way he drove it, how difficult it is to achieve that, right. I think they'd have a greater appreciation for it. I'm with you. I like the side-by-side. I like the close battles. Uh, it's, more, it's more fun to watch. But, but, again, when you understand how difficult it is to do what those guys did, I have a great deal of appreciation for it.
4: I, mean, I agree, this, this racing is extremely hard, but I think the big message of the weekend is that Cole Pern and Martin Truex, they've served notice to other 39 teams and said, hey guys, playoff start in eight weeks, we got our act together. You all got some work to do and I think the teams realize that you heard Carl Larson say it after the race hey guys we got some work to do and they'll get where they need to be but they definitely serve notice
3: well they serve notice that they know what they're doing at a mile and a half all season long and sure. that's what half of the playoffs consists of so really the question I'm thinking about is does it really even matter what Martin Truex does for the next eight races because he's got a ton of playoff points sure. and they're very very good at these types of tracks
4: and I'm sure he's gonna get some more stage wins too he's got that figured out
3: <laughs> yeah he does have that figured out all right that is it for all of us on that NASCAR America. Our thanks to Steve and Jeff for chiming in as well. And Slugger, it was so great to have you here. Thanks.
4: Glad being here. I got my rookie stripe pulled Yeah,
3: you did. You got your rookie stripe pulled. Uh, Listen, for all your NASCAR news, you can always log on to NBCSports.com slash NASCAR. Get the very latest from Dustin Long and Nate Ryan. We're going to be back on Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern. And then don't forget, on Wednesday, Eric Amarola from the Hall of Fame is going to tell us whether or not he's going to be back in the car this weekend. That's then. But for now, thanks for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.